0: Mira C.
1: One of the things that I found with myself and with a lot of the ADHDers that I work with is that that model doesn't work for us because our ability to get and stay motivated is just a huge challenge area for us.
0: Hello, I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped more than 70,000 coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. In this podcast, we answer burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. As business owners, we want and need to be efficient and productive in so many ways. We've heard, read, and we've implemented all kinds of steps to boost our productivity. But how do you do that if you're neurodivergent with ADHD or inattentive ADHD? Many people focus on the negatives when it comes to neurodivergence, like the inability to focus, weak impulse control or procrastination, those kinds of things. However, entrepreneurs and ADHD, they can make a pretty great combination. Just like anything, ADHD comes with both its strengths and its weaknesses. Interestingly enough though, When it comes to starting and running your own business, ADHD might just give you a step up. I've invited Aaron Croft to talk about this with me today. Aaron turned his life around when he was diagnosed with ADHD. He got help after a divorce, bankruptcy, and dealing with failure after failure His life obsession has been productivity, and he has learned to work with his ADHD brain to be more productive and build a successful Fortune 500 career business. Welcome, Aaron. Thank
1: you, Melinda. It is so great to be here.
0: I am so thrilled to have you on this show and talk about this topic. But before we dive into the topic, would you mind sharing just your background and how you became a coach with our listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My background was that I was a really good test taker growing up. And so I did really well in middle school and high school because I also had really smart friends and I had Jewish parents that weren't going to let me do poorly and older sisters. So I had this great support structure and that combined with my good test taking skills, I performed really well and even gotten to Harvard. Like Aaron's life is going to be made. That masked this whole problem, which was that, like, I was just this chronic procrastinator. All of my homework, all of my studying was done in panic mode right at the last minute. And my mom and everyone else around just wrote that out as, like, Aaron thinks he's better than school. He thinks the rules don't apply to him. And I didn't have any other explanation, so I just kind of went with it. And then I got to Harvard, and the wheels fell off partially because I lost the support structure, but also partially because I was sick of having panic and stress run my life as the only way I could get stuff done. But you'd think I would have hopefully found out about the ADHD then. I didn't find out about it until 15 years later when I was 33 and broke, divorced, and earning minimum wage after failing out of my first seven jobs of businesses. So it was a little bit of a bumpy road, uh, if you will.
0: Now- In the intro that I read, I mentioned ADHD and inattentive ADHD. Before we really get into this, like what's the difference between that or ADD and help us understand what these are?
1: Absolutely. So it's a really important question. So what I would call inattentive ADHD or what diagnosticians would is really what colloquially is known as ADD. So attention deficit disorder, although technically it hasn't been a medical term for over three decades. Now, when we hear the term ADHD, and I've queried hundreds of people when I've done speaking engagements, what's the first thing that pops into mind? And it'll be like some six-year-old boys just bouncing off the walls in school, or it'll be someone popping up their head like squirrel. And you end up with this image, which is very skewed towards a lot of the hyperactivity impulsivity symptoms. And ADD or inattentive ADHD, as it's more medically known, is really kind of like the overlooked stepchild. And what's interesting about this is without the hyperactivity and impulsivity symptoms, we don't tend to be behavior problems. And that type of presentation of ADHD, the ADD presentation, affects a lot more women as well. And so what you end up with is you end up with a lot of people like me and women and others who aren't getting diagnosed until adulthood, 20s, 30s, 40s. I have people in some of my coaching programs that were diagnosed in their 60s. And so it's really only coming out kind of later in their life that people are noticing.
0: Interesting. Now I've been working with entrepreneurs starting their business. They're in the early stages, been doing this for 18 years now. And one of the, I call them villains. You mentioned it just a moment ago, that chronic procrastinator, however it shows up, however procrastination shows up. I see that a lot in new entrepreneurs. Does it mean they have ADHD or ADD, or is that part of just being an entrepreneur or part of doing something new that they're, how do you begin to even understand what's really going on with somebody there?
1: Yeah, it's it's such a great question, right? And obviously, not diagnostic advice, not a medical professional and all that. But what it really comes down to, and it's really hard, right? Because I would say that the understanding of these neurological issues is really, really young. I think that we're going to laugh in 10, 20 years when we look back on our current understanding and just think how incomplete it was. The issue isn't, is it on or off? It's not a binary light switch because everybody procrastinates, right? Everybody loses their keys. Everybody has trouble getting motivated sometimes. With ADHD years, it really just ends up being the severity. And so there's really, it's sort of an arbitrary line in some respects, right, of where it becomes clinical versus not. For my entire life, until I had some level of ADHD medication, which was not a panacea, it didn't cure all everything. I still need a lot of strategies and tools, but it was the first time in my life at 34 years old that I was able to sit down and focus on something just because I wanted to focus on it. Like I had the volition to direct my attention and sit my butt in a chair and work on something because it was important, like it was part of my job. It wasn't like intensely interesting and you know just really drew my passion or there wasn't like a fire over me, like this is due in one hour or you'll get fired. And so the experience to be able to just sit down and focus on that was literally the first time in my life I'd ever experienced it without one of those other conditions.
0: Wow, that's amazing. When I think about that new entrepreneur, I'm just going back to some of the new students that we've had over the years and the entrepreneurial mindset, just what makes us entrepreneurs is that we're creative by nature. We have lots of ideas where we can be all over the place and then bring some form to it and turn it into reality. So what does it sound like inside the mind of just an entrepreneur that's getting started versus an entrepreneur getting started with ADHD?
1: So I would say that it sounds pretty similar. Again, it's just a more of a severity. So in the minds of a lot of the entrepreneurs with ADHD, specifically more of the inattentive, so colloquially ADD that I've spoken with, they will have like a very clear idea of what they can create. And they'll also have a decent level of belief and confidence that they can create it. Like the idea can be really clear, and even their belief that they can create it's very clear. Their output and their action will be laughable and useless. And it really confuses them, right? Because they're looking at this and they're like, I can see it clearly. I want it, right? And like a lot of the advice is you just need to have a bigger why. But the motivation pathways in ADHD brains tend to just not work the way that they work normally uh, in neurotypical brains. And so they're like, I want this thing. I kind of know what I want to build, and yet I am just like fiddle-farting around doing everything except the things that I should be doing, and it just ends up in this very sort of weird avoidance cycle, but a lot of them aren't even aware that they're doing it, right? So they'll just go back and get more school, or they'll go back and sign up for some other training, something that they think will bring them the more confidence when really what they need to be doing is taking the action, moving towards... Building their coaching business, their group coaching, online training, and so on, uh, versus going tangentially into the side, getting more training, et cetera.
0: And so, for somebody that's in that spot, how do you get them into action? You you just say, you know, instead they need to be getting into action and working on that thing. How do you support them, or how do they support themselves in that moment? Can they do it on their own, or do they need that outside help?
1: Yeah. So. I personally don't believe that anyone's successful on their own. Me neither.
0: What? no matter what.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like no matter what. And for me, that was one of the biggest mindset shifts when I went and did a master's of coaching psychology. So this is kind of right around the time of the divorce. And I was, I'd failed out of these seven jobs and businesses. And I was like, wow. I really need to like do something and pivot my career. So I went back to graduate school, as people do in their careers in shambles, if they have the opportunity. And all of a sudden I had peer coaches. Then I was like, whoa, this is really helping me. Then I started paying coaches. And I really realized that one of the biggest challenges that so many of us have, right, is our personal goals have no one to hold them, right? If our spouse asks us to do something, they're holding that goal. If our boss asks us to do something, they're holding that goal. Uh, If our business partner asks us to do something, they're holding that goal for us. But for the goals that are deeply important in our soul and our heart, the things that really drive us, so many of us, especially if we don't have a lot of success with goal achievement, we keep them close to our vest and we try to do it ourselves. And that's just a recipe for failure.
0: Yeah, it's one of the things I talk about with any entrepreneur. The number one enemy to success is isolation, just being isolated, holding it close to the vest, not connecting, not being supported it just makes the whole entire journey harder, no matter who you are. It's just the part of the transformation really is not to isolate, but to stay in action and be supported in doing that.
1: It does. It does. Melinda, can I rewind us just a little bit to add one thing that I think is also really critical to getting people into action?
0: Absolutely.
1: Awesome. So what we're talking about here is absolutely critical, but I think it's even more important to go one step backwards, which is this. If you ever take a course on starting a business, right, they're going to have you start looking at the market. They're going to have you start looking at the opportunities. What are the needs? What's the numbers, right? How much profit, how much competition, and it's all external. And then we try to bring the external and match it to us internally. And one of the things that i found with myself and with a lot of the ADHDers that I work with is that that model doesn't work for us because our ability to get and stay motivated is just a huge challenge area for us. I advocate, instead of doing an external to internal, I advocate doing an internal to external. So in, I guess, traditional coach lingo, it could be more of like a strengths-based approach or a appreciative inquiry. So if we look at the four Ps, Right product, promotion, pricing, and process, everyone focuses on market fit. And that's where we start. I like to start people focused on me fit, right? So what's my fit with the product? What can I deliver that I just enjoy delivering? Almost I would do this if I weren't getting paid. Like I would make art for the sake of making art, a la Seth Godin. What are the things that I would enjoy doing, right? I know you had, I think it was Michelle who was talking, a guest previously on group coaching. She was talking about not wanting to do social media. It doesn't resonate with her. Even though everyone else does it for marketing, she doesn't like to do it for her business. And I think that sort of building out from the inside, how you want to show up is really a precursor to being able to get into action that is sustainable and consistent, because that's the only way to grow a successful business.
0: Well, I think that's a recipe, whether you have ADHD or not, I really love that approach because now you're bringing what matters to you and then creating a business from that spot. So I think that's brilliant insight and advice for anybody.
1: I agree because the key part about it that I just love and that I enjoy because I'm not a very hard worker. I really don't like working very much. (laughs) Part of the reason that I went into coaching was after failing multiple businesses as well as jobs prior to my ADHD diagnosis, you know, the only reason I chose to do it was because my wife said, hey, you could delegate all the stuff you don't like to do. And I was like, that sounds nice. Ultimately for me, the things that I do in my business have always been about time freedom and that I don't want to be forced to do work I don't like to do when I don't want to do it. And so many of the ADHDers I've talked to feel the same way. And so the really cool part about what you said, Melinda, and this whole idea of starting with me fit and kind of blossoming outward is when you really pick things that have me fit, it doesn't really feel like work. So there's a lot of activities that I might do on nights and weekends that other people would be like, oh, you're working on your business. It's like, no, I'm reading these books about psychology or neuroscience or marketing that I think are fun to read.
0: It sounds like with this me fit, like I read in the introduction, a lot of people will focus on the negative aspects of it, but now you can leverage it to find a way to help you build your business and do it in a way that's in alignment with you. What are other ways that ADHD can be leveraged when an entrepreneur that has ADHD, they're building their business, they're working with their clients, how else can it be the positive side of it?
1: Yeah. So I think a lot of it's just looking at, again, on the fit as you were saying, it's really just looking at what are the things that I already do, right? And so with my ADHD, doing things has always been a challenge for me. I would hear my parents or my teachers or someone else say, here's the 50-step checklist of what you would need to do, And I was like, I wanna crawl in a hole, this is terrible. And I would avoid it and then get someone to help me or whatever. But what I would always do when I looked at that was I'd be like, okay, I'd do it. And I'd be like, okay, if they just said these eight exercises, I would have got 95% of the value and I wouldn't have had to do the other 42 on this checklist. And I never thought of that as a skill, but that's actually what my entire business is based around, the fact that I love to ingest information and I constantly dissect it saying, is this really high leverage? Like, would this really move the needle? Or is this just kind of one of these, I'm going to throw a bunch of things at the wall. And so that's my entire business is I take complex things. And I say, Okay, yeah, you could do all those, you could do detailed customer journey mapping, and you could do an elaborate avatar and decide where your person goes on their third honeymoon and where they go, you know, where they buy sandals from, or you could take some steps that would just be much more direct, get you out of kind of the mental planning mode and into more of an active planning mode. And so, yeah, I was just looking for ways to streamline things. But now I use that as a as a strategy that really helps my business and helps my customers and clients to cut out a lot of wasted effort because I'm really good at dissecting these things.
0: Now, let's talk about boredom. Right. That's one of the main challenges. You said it earlier, you kind of get distracted quickly. How do you avoid getting bored or quitting your business? And Because a lot of times with these newer coaches, newer entrepreneurs, they're not making progress. It's not going fast enough. They should be in a different place. And they're like, I'm not cut out for this. Maybe this isn't my calling. And they start doubting and questioning themselves. What role does boredom have in that for somebody with ADHD?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question, Melinda. So firstly, I think if we keep going back to the me fit, right, a big contributor to that thing that you're talking about, the first contributor is the external focused planning, right? What's the market? What should I be doing? I should be doing this type of social media, I should be focusing on this market, because that's where people make money, even though really, I want to help mothers in this situation like me, but you know, my coach says, or someone told me I should really focus on this because that's where the money is. So I think part of it's a me fit issue, but let's just say that you do have good me fit. How do you deal with the boredom? So firstly, three things. One is expect it. It will absolutely come up. Two is look for areas within your business that you can shift for some novelty. So if you've got a bunch of clients and everything's going fine, you could look at designing a group coaching program or an online course, or you could look at doing a different type of marketing avenue. Maybe you've been doing online video, but you haven't been doing webinars. So I think there's ways to get novelty within by just shifting around the tasks in terms of what you delegate versus what you do yourself. So the third thing I would say, sometimes that pivot is gonna come right? And I think one of the things that also holds a lot of new coaches back is the fear of niching. And the biggest fear that I've seen around niching and I experience is that I'm going to get bored. I don't want to lock myself in to this thing for the next 10 years. And what I always teach my students is a niche is just a starting point. And it's okay to get bored after a year or year and a half, you only need to have like a year and a half of staying power within your niche. And then other opportunities might open up, right? So like, Michelle, who was talking about the group coaching, like she didn't necessarily start focused on group coaching. In my case, I have a kick ass ADHD productivity program. It's not geared towards entrepreneurs. I help people to say, I want to get something done. And I just can't get myself to do it. Which will sound weird to people that don't experience that. Uh, but it literally goes from like massive procrastination to daily productivity over this eight week bootcamp. But I'm shifting my focus to help other entrepreneurs with ADHD coaches, course creators, um, to build more scalable coaching programs and courses using their expertise and their experience. And so that shift for me is a little bit of like getting bored with just productivity but it's also kind of leaning into my own growth and to the clients that I've really enjoyed working with. So I think it's okay to kind of follow a little bit of that magic.
0: I love it. Now, in one of your Instagram posts, you say that new coaches should not build a value ladder to build their business fast. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. So the value ladder for listeners that aren't familiar is just this idea that you want to have a really easy offer for new newsletter subscribers, like a $19 or a $7 thing. And then they can step up to like a $99 pre-recorded webinar. And then they could step up to like a $499 weekend seminar. And then eventually they'll step up to your high ticket, like $2,000, $5,000 group coaching, whatever. And I think that is a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic model. And I highly endorse it. I think it's a great model to build backwards. So, starting with the top of the ladder, the higher ticket offer, the things that don't scale, which is going to be your hands on one on one coaching or group coaching, really starting there. Because one of the things that's most underappreciated about working with small groups or with one on one clients is that It is free market research for a coach. And if you have ADHD, it's not only market research, right? We talked about market fit, but it's also me fit. You're going to realize, you know what? Helping these types of people with these types of problems drains me. But helping those types of people with those types of problems, that lights me up. And when you get to do these hands-on kind of things that don't scale, and then when you have enough money and you have enough market fit, then scale the crap out of it. And so I just think that the value ladder implies that you know what your customers want and that you have a perfect place to lead them to. Whereas your high ticket offer is going to evolve over the course of doing and working with people. So that's kind of more that like, active based planning versus the writing based planning that i advocate
0: i love it it's when i'm thinking about how i started my business it's the same thing that i did i started with that that signature package and then i'm a big fan of reverse engineering and building backwards <laughs> for some reason i like that now in the communication leading up to our conversation today you mentioned that there are four overlooked tactics that coaches who have adhd need to build a business that neurotypicals don't Could you share what those are?
1: Yeah. So what I was mentioning there, right, is really the four P's. And this is back to the market fit versus me fit model. So just to fully build out, right? So the four P's being product promotion, pricing, and process. So if we look at market fit, right? If any of the coaches out there are considering starting a business or already have a business, this is what a lot of the advice revolves around, right? So your product needs to have a market fit, right? Does the market want what I'm offering? If you're offering programs on how to gain lots of fat and weight, there might not be a lot of takers. But if you're serving like the sumo wrestler market, you have some product market fit. The promotion market fit, obviously how potential customers find out. Pricing market fit, am I priced in line with the market? And then process market fit, how do I reliably deliver on my product, right? What's my process to do that consistently? But on the me fit side, and those are the four overlooked components, you know, we talked a little about the product fit about, I need to feel good about it. But let's talk about the promotion me fit. So for me, my first real active promotion was I wrote 21 articles in 21 days after spending two months procrastinating, so that's why I did kind of a 21-day challenge. If I had to promote my business through writing, which I have hated since I was in high school, I would still be at my Fortune 500 job, Melinda. Like, it's not a me fit, I could do it short term, but I can't do it sustainably long term. Whereas you tell me to just talk to a microphone, talk to a camera, like on a podcast or a TikTok video or YouTube. Like, I do that in my sleep, that's fun, that's easy. So there's like promotion me fit. Do you want me to keep going on the rest? It's very fascinating. I mean, so on the pricing me fit, I'm sure you've seen this, right? But a lot of the challenge that stands in the way for coaches isn't that they lack pricing market fit. Their services are price sufficient for the market. It's that their prices lack me fit. They don't have the confidence in their pricing. They don't have the money mindset that supports them being able to ask people to really do this with their money and believing that they can do it. And that holds a lot of people up, but they spend so much time Trying to research competitors and all that, and so little time realizing that the me fit is wrong on their pricing. And there's different ways to adjust that. And then I can quickly cover process me fit as well.
0: Yeah, I'd love to hear it. I'm taking notes.
1: Perfect. Yeah, I know. Your note taking, by the way, Melinda, on these podcasts is like second to none.
0: Ooh, thank you.
1: Your summaries at the end are epic. All right. So, and then the last one, right? This process me fit. It's great on the market fit that you have a process to deliver your product. But ultimately, if you can't follow through on that process, you might have the perfect process, but if you can't get yourself to do the process, well, then you've got a problem. Right. And so they lack me fit on the process where they don't have the systems in place to do it. And so this kind of comes to what you were saying of how do you get into action? If you really struggle with this, like I want to do it, but I just can't get myself to. And so back to my productivity coaching program, I have a three part model around people power, easy prevails and pressure free practice. And the, the core of it is this, that you getting stuff done is going to look different than the way that your neurotypical spouse or colleagues or friends or family members get stuff done. And that's okay. Just because it's a different process doesn't mean it's a bad one. The problem is not you, it's your systems. And we just need different systems. And so I teach people some different ways to do that. Involving other people is a core one. And then there's just a number of others that really work to get that me fit on the process so that you can execute what you need to do for your business.
0: I love that statement. And it's making me think of one of the clients that I worked with she has ADHD. And that was the thing that I really had to remember. The way she gets stuff done looks very different than Mm -hmm. how I would or how I might coach somebody to Mm. take an approach to something. And she was really good about saying, Melinda, this is my way and this is what's going to work for me. She was very hyper aware of herself and her situation and what she needed which helped me as a coach to support her. But, you know, as coaches, we've been talking about building our business, but I just want to ask one question about how do we support our clients that have ADHD? Maybe we know that they have it, maybe we don't. But how, as coaches, can we support those clients in that spot as well?
1: Yeah, so I'd say really two things, right? So if we come back to the fact that, again, all these things are on a spectrum. So do neurotypicals need me fit on their business, on the four Ps? Of course. It's just for ADHD years, it's so much more intense that if it's not there, it's like, I don't care if you wave a billion dollars in front of me, I'm not gonna do this thing I hate for a year. So it's a level of intensity. So first is just understand that the me fit is so important. So what does that look like in working with clients? Just really understanding that the way that they wanna do something, their ideas, just understanding that that is central. And of course, as coaches, we're trained to do that and you know, let the client lead and so on. But at the same point, one kind of overlook thing that a lot of us coaches might have been overtrained in let the client lead, whereas really what paying clients are looking for would be kind of what I would term like coach consulting, right? Like they want coaching and consulting. And so we need to kind of balance that, right? But if you've ended up too far on the consultant side, which is okay, you just have to understand that with the ADHDers, you really want to have them really be active in a lot of the design about what actions they'll take and how they'll do them. And then the second is just like, It's just, it's a higher level of accountability or handholding. So rather than, okay, cool, here's your thing. You're going to do this by our call next week. It might be great. You're going to do these four things before our call. What day are you going to do each one of them? And then can you just send me a quick email or text or proof that you did them? I'm not going to like read it. I'm not going to respond with comments. I'm just going to respond with like an emoji or a received thanks. But like, just providing like that little tiny extra level of like someone's watching can be really powerful for them.
0: I love that idea. That's just good coaching overall, uh, but that makes a lot of sense. So let's summarize a few things that we talked about today. Uh, We talked about the difference- Get ready, this is gonna be good. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about the difference between ADHD and ADD and the skewed image that a lot of people have with that. And uh, I really like that we got into the distinction between- What's it like to be a new entrepreneur stepping out and doing a new thing and having ADHD and the villains coming into our minds when we're doing new things and just the nuances of all of that. And we talked about, I love when you said that the motivation pathways don't work the same for somebody who has ADHD. And that's really important because they can drop into that avoidance cycle or they'll procrastinate by just learning more, going to more classes and feeling like they're doing something. But instead, like we got to get into action we can't isolate. I love how you took us through the four Ps and the most overlooked areas that people with ADHD can really focus on. We went through the product promo pricing and process fit. And I love how you turned it around to me fit. That's going to be my biggest takeaway and something that I will forever be using with myself and my clients moving forward and how these are the precursor of the motivation that's necessary. And we talked about the positive side of ADHD, that it's not just a negative thing, but there are benefits and that can be leveraged. And we got into that and dove into how boredom, we got to expect it. We got to look for areas in our business to shift for novelty and don't fear niching. It's just a starting point. Uh, And to really understand these three things so that we can navigate the boredom when it comes up, because it's gonna happen. We talked about how to build your business backwards through a a different approach to the value ladder. And then my favorite, favorite takeaway is when you said to the ADHD coach, you getting stuff done is going to look different and that's okay. The problem is not you, it's your systems. And then of course we had that fun conversation about how we can support our clients and what that can look like when we get to that higher level of accountability and the both, both M's the market fit and the me fit and finding the intersection of those. So, oh my gosh, Aaron, thank you so much for today. Do you have any other parting words for our listeners?
1: I don't think so. I think in the show notes, um, we've got like a free guide around how to ensure your online course will sell before you do any work on it. So if we can share that in the show notes, that'd be great. But other than that, I look forward to getting a chance for this episode to come out. And I love the conversation, Melinda.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And a huge thank you to Aaron for this incredible discussion about building a business with hidden ADHD. You can find out more about him at hiddenadhd.com. That's hiddenadhd.com. Aaron, thank you so much for coming to the show.
1: Thank you, Melinda.
0: I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Course Lab and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance. She assembled the episode. Danny Inney is our executive producer, and post-production was by Post Office Sound. To find out about upcoming great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people.